is, of course, a holiday weekend, and uh, tomorrow is Labor Day, uh, or as Frank proposed that we call it, rest from Labor Day, because that is the purpose uh, of this uh, federal holiday. And so, with that in mind, uh, the, the setting of this weekend, I want to spend some time this evening sharing a few thoughts and reflections, biblical reflections on rest and work. Uh, and I want you to have your Bible handy. Uh, I figure that you folks, uh, people who choose to come back on a Sunday night during a holiday weekend, or people who don't mind and who even desire to dig into the Word uh, a little more deeply, and who desire to spend a little more time reading more extended passages. And so I bet, just looking out here tonight, most of you brought your Bible. And if you didn't, there may be one on the pew in front of you, or you might have access to it through your uh, smartphone or whatever. Uh, So I hope that you'll keep that handy, because we'll be looking in several uh, different passages as we proceed uh, this evening. I want to begin here, I want to begin at the beginning uh, of the Bible, uh, which teaches us the importance of both rest and work. From the very beginning, this is established. Genesis begins with God working over a period of six days uh, to create all things in in the entire universe. And then on the seventh day, resting after that labor. Look with me in Genesis 2. This was our text that Isaac read for us not long ago. The Scriptures say, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. And in turn, God gives His human creation work to do. Uh, if you look in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 15, after God created Adam, The Scriptures tell us that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden so that he could work it and keep it. And then God also provides a special day of rest uh, that later becomes the Sabbath. If you look back at uh, chapter uh, earlier in this chapter, verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So God works and He rests, setting an example that He desires for us to keep. And we'll talk about how we keep that, uh, how we abide by that example uh, as we go forward. But of course, you know, the God of the universe, Almighty God doesn't need to rest, surely. So I can't think of any other reason that we find Him resting on the seventh day after He's created all things, except that he wanted to set an example for us to show us how we need to live. And so from the time of creation, God gives humans work to do and he also uh, he also provides and expects us to take periods of rest. God weaves rhythms of work and rest into the fabric of creation. And the first few chapters of Genesis remind us that both work and rest are good gifts of God. But sadly, 
The curse of sin causes work to be a burden rather than a blessing. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, the, the heading in my Bible is the fall. Uh, when sin entered into uh, the world and into our human condition uh, through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, if you look at what God says to Adam at verse 17, you'll see these words. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. It will not be easy to till the ground anymore. You will face challenges in your labor and in your work. So God gave humans this good gift, but now because of sin, it's going to be difficult to work. You shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. Verse 19, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so work as a result of sin becomes difficult, and as a result, rest becomes hard to come by, because work takes more effort, and it's more laborious than God intended it to be from the beginning. So how do we see the effects of sin today on work and rest? And the way that we think about work and rest in our world, in our, in our personal lives. Well, here's one way, or maybe two ways. Some people have forgotten how to work, and other people have forgotten how to rest. On the one hand, as we think about people in our world, in our society, who have forgotten how to work, you have some people who are not like most of you seated here tonight, they were not raised with a good work ethic. They grew up not being taught how to work, not being taught the value of work. And, you know, I'm thinking about all the people uh, who come by looking for help. So many of them weren't raised like you were raised. And they don't realize that, this is, that work is an, an important, uh, valuable part of life. That was not, um, that was not you know, pushed and plugged when they were growing up. And they just don't get it. Some, sadly, have not been given opportunities to work in our society. And some people, of course, are lazy and they don't want to work. And they simply want a handout in life. The Proverbs repeatedly, and I'm not going to mention any specific Proverbs because I know we spent about half a year on Sunday nights digging into the Proverbs. So we won't go back uh, and, and retread those. But you'll remember several Proverbs warn against idleness, against laziness. Why? Well, one reason is idle, as we have said, as people have said, you know it, this Old adage, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Bored people are dangerous people. Bored people are those who are more susceptible to the traps and tricks of the evil one. And there are a lot of people uh, in our world who have forgotten how to work, have forgotten the importance of work. But then on the other side, 
And I bet that there are more people here tonight who fit into this category than the first. There are people who have forgotten to rest. I mean, yes, that's right, who have forgotten to rest. There are people who are addicted to work. People who are workaholics. People who never seem to take a break in order to rest. Who never pull back, withdraw, take a breather. I'm thinking about in our society, we have a, so many people can't sleep. They struggle with insomnia. And I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of factors involved in that. But there's an epidemic of addictive habit-forming sleep aids in our society. And, and some of you may use a sleeping pill from time to time. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, legal, safe uh, drugs that, that, that you might use, but, but I think you would admit that we have a problem in our country. People not being able to rest without assistance. Um, one of the problems that prevents us, uh, that keeps us from being able to rest from our labors as we should, you, you know what it is. These devices. We are always available we are always connected to work. There was a time when you could go on vacation and nobody would know how to reach you unless you gave them the, you know, the phone number to your hotel. You were off the grid. You, know, you were out of reach. And you know, in the car especially, along the journey, there was no way of being able to get in touch with you. Uh, I am speaking of a time that I don't even remember. That is foreign to me. But I bet even if you remember it, it now seems foreign to you because of how available we are at all times. We are always tethered to our work. We are always able to be reached, able to receive text messages and emails. And, and these can be a great blessing. I was talking to one of our elders this morning. We were talking about how nice it is. We have, I have a thread Alex and I with the elders, and you know, if I find out that somebody has passed away or they're in the hospital or any other news that I think needs to be shared with them, I can just send it their way and it goes to all of them at one time. Well, that's a great blessing. But the downside to that is we're never able to really disconnect and rest from our work. We're always connected. So we still see sin's effects in in work and rest. Some people struggle. They have forgotten how to work, it seems. Others seem to have forgotten how to rest. Well, how can we help reestablish God's intentions, God, God's good intentions for work and rest? How can we redeem those? How can we help reverse the curse of sin in this matter? Well, I've got some ideas uh, tonight, some, some action steps, really. Uh, and the first one is this. And, and I I really view these more as seeds to be planted. They are not as fleshed out as they could be. I hope that, uh, that you, know, you will take these with you and, and they will stir some thoughts and ideas in you. And here's the first one. I think we need to make sure that work and helping people find work is part of our philosophy of helping as individual Christians and as a church, uh, providing handouts 
Sometimes that is good and appropriate and acceptable. But oftentimes that is not truly helping. That is enabling. Uh, that is just kicking the can down the road. That is, not, that is perpetuating the cycle. That's not helping people get out of the cycle that they're in. We've got to figure out a way as individual Christians and as the church to weave opportunities for work into the ways that we help people. You know, the old adage, it's better to help somebody, instead of giving them a fish, teach them how to fish. Because work has been a part of God's intention from the very beginning, it provides people with dignity and purpose. And so to be a Christian is to extol the goodness of work. One of the passages I want us to look at tonight is 2 Thessalonians. I bet some of you knew that I would be going here. Paul has something to say here about the importance, the value of work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 6. The church at Thessalonica was dealing with some idle, lazy people who were not interested in working. Uh, who were not interested in providing for themselves, earning an income to help their families. And we don't know if these people, because of their thought that Jesus was coming back soon, that they had quit work uh, in order to get ready for His return, in order to proclaim the gospel. We don't know if maybe these are just lazy Christians who were taking advantage of maybe wealthier believers in the congregation. And that was kind of freeing them up to, to sort of get into other people's business and be gossips and busybodies. We don't know exactly what the problem was, but whatever it was, Paul's had enough by the end of his second letter to the church here. So let's read this passage starting at verse 6 of Second Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So, in the tradition of Paul and the other early disciples was this value of, of, of working. And Paul says, if you have people among you who aren't embracing that, you need to create some separation between yourself and them because they don't get it. They don't get something that is that is basic to what we're preaching. You know, you know this importance of work uh, is closely connected with the gospel of Jesus Christ, part of the tradition of Paul and the others. I mean, that's pretty serious. Verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. We set an example for you. We got to work. Uh, Paul, as you know, in places. He, he was involved in manual labor. He said it was his right to be compensated uh, you know, by uh, the churches that he preached for. That that was appropriate, but, but he, uh, he didn't take advantage of that right in order to not provide a, a stumbling block. He set an example of work by working to provide for himself as he also proclaimed the gospel. But some of them were not following that example. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you 
in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So Paul says, when we were with you, we would remind you of this command. Which makes me think, the way Paul says this here, you know, that wasn't just a one-time statement. He repeated it. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. What did we say earlier? Bored people? Lazy, idle people? Dangerous people. In their idleness, they open themselves up for the hooks of sin to to get into them. And that's what's happened. In their free time, they have been drawn away by the devil to get involved in gossip and, 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 you know, getting up in other people's business, being busybodies. You're not being busy working, you've become busybodies. That's a problem. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so Paul's lengthy treatment here about the importance and value of work reminds me that helping people in Christ's name from the church should involve connecting them with work. Because nothing is going to help people more in our society than a J-O-B, a job. Giving them something to do. I think about Habitat for Humanity, which I think does wonderful work for families in need of homes. And I read an article in our local newspaper recently uh, about a home that was built by Habitat for Humanity. Some of you were probably involved in that. And you know more about this organization than I do. But I was interested to learn these homes are not just outright given to the families. Uh, The family must still make payments. They pay on very affordable interest-free loans, but there's still responsibility. There's ownership. And they, the family, must put in 400 hours of what's called sweat equity into the project. They've got to help in the building. And homeowners are chosen according to need and their ability to repay the mortgage and their willingness to work in partnership with the organization. Now that's not giving somebody a handout, that's giving them a leg up. And that's what we as the church need to be about. Helping people in ways that really help, not enable them to continue the cycle. And I like to think that, you know, the Habitat for Humanity model here is modeled on the way Christians ought to be helping people. So much of what goes on in our country in this way is built on Christian principles. That's the way we need to help people. We need to make sure that work is part of our philosophy of helping I think, secondly, we ought to pray for job opportunities for people. This is not something that, that is a part of my daily prayer life. I think it ought to be. If we know the importance and the value of work, if we know how work blesses people with a sense of dignity, how it allows them to provide for themselves and their families, how financial stability frees up people's minds in order to think about, about spiritual matters, I mean, there's so many people in our world, they are in survival mode. All they can think about is making sure they've got food and shelter. There's really no time to think about how they need Jesus. 
But when you begin to help people provide for their basic needs, then that frees their mind up and their heart up to receive the gospel. They're not ready to receive the gospel until they've got their basic needs met. And the way that we really help people do that in the long run is helping them find employment. And so I think we need to be praying about this, that in our country, in our community, job opportunities will abound for people. We need to pray that the unemployment rate will continue to go down as we've seen it uh, in trend that direction in our country recently. And we need to work in addition to pray to that end as far as we are able to help. So we want to pray for work to come people's way because we know all the blessings that work brings. And we know that work is a good gift from God. And that work was part of the tradition of the teaching of Paul and the other early Christian leaders. Okay, let's talk a little bit about rest. Number three, we need to commit to regular rest. If you're somebody who struggles with this, if your calendar and schedule is packed, if you think you might be addicted to this frantic, harried pace that it seems our culture expects of us, then this one is the one you really need to, to hone in on in the week ahead. Commit to resting. Now, under the new covenant, I don't believe we are any longer commanded to keep the Sabbath on a certain day of the week. We are freed We find freedom and liberation in Christ from these various regulations of the law. We we talked about Galatians uh, last quarter, about the the Judaizers who were coming in and saying, you know, you need to do this, 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 and this in order to find uh, acceptance and grace from God. And Paul says, no, that's not the gospel. That's not what we declared to you. If we came back saying that, you don't need to listen to us. Uh, Paul says, set that aside. That is not the means by which uh, you receive salvation. It is through faith in Jesus Christ now. You have freedom in Jesus Christ. However, in our freedom, we should continue to seek rest. We should remember that just from from a biological point of view, it's something that we must have, that we need in order to function. And we ought to, per the example of our Lord Jesus Christ in His ministry, I think about Mark chapter 1. Why don't you turn there with me? Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 35. We'll start there. Mark one thirty-five. Mark one thirty-five finds Jesus rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, departing the house in Capernaum where he was staying and going to a desolate place to pray. So he withdraws uh, in order to pray. He, He gets away from it all. And he doesn't have his cell phone in his pocket either. In order to commune with his father. Now what strikes me about this is if you look before... Jesus' ministry is just starting to heat up. I mean, people know that he's out there and they've heard about him and, and, you know, word is out spreading on the street that Jesus can perform all these amazing miracles. And it's at this time, at this juncture, when the rest of us would just keep 
plugging away and keep working. I mean, if you know our star was rising, we, we would want to keep feeding that. Jesus, it's at that point that he says, I've got, I've got for, for my soul's sake, I've got to go away to a desolate place to pray. Now his disciples, the, the few that are following him, don't yet understand the importance of rest. And so they get up and they find that he's gone and they go out looking for him and they say, Jesus, what are you doing out here? Everybody's looking for you. What are you thinking? You know, just when, the, just when things were getting good, you're going to run away like this? They didn't understand the importance of a rhythm, a regular rhythm of rest. We've got, for the health of our souls, for the effectiveness of our ministry and our witness to the world, we've got to rest. And the next thought is, is uh, connected to this one. We need to remember how to truly rest. How to truly rest. Because I think our world has gotten confused about what actually, what actually rejuvenates us and feeds our souls. We think that the answer is to go on a vacation. Uh, you know, sit on the beach and read a novel or whatever it, it is. Go, go to the mountains, whatever it is you like to do. But how many of you come back from a vacation and, and you still feel tired? I won't ask you to raise your hand. And, I mean, I feel tired after a vacation because we take three small children on a vacation and that's exhausting. Uh, there was a video going around on Facebook about before going to the beach before kids and after kids. I don't know how many of you saw it. And the couple before kids, they were like, you know, skipping along the seashore and having all this fun and just lighthearted, fancy-free stuff. And then it goes to after kids and they're trudging out onto the beach like the children of Israel <laughs> and they're dragging all these carts and all this stuff with them. I'm not even talking about that, vacationing with kids. I'm talking about like a real vacation with, you know, just you and your spouse and your rest. You still come back feeling tired, don't you? And those types of getaway trips are good. They're wonderful. I don't have anything against them. But I think we have, we have forgotten what truly brings us rest. The Bible says that we find rest in Jesus Christ. God has promised His people rest for centuries. He promised His people rest in the Old Testament. In our text this morning, in Sunday school class, we all started, the, or many of us started this study of Joshua. And Joshua says, uh, in preparation to go into the promised land, Joshua 1.13, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and He will give you this land. But that promise of rest is not ultimately fulfilled until Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Uh, and we read about the rest that Jesus provides in Hebrews chapter 4. Why don't you turn there with me? This will be the last major place that we go tonight. Hebrews chapter 4. Starting at verse 8, the Hebrews writer references Joshua and the promise of God's rest that Joshua communicates to the people of Israel. And the Hebrews writer says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day, another day of rest later on. So then there remains a Sabbath 
rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we find rest, the Hebrews writer says, true rest in Jesus Christ. He is the source of our rest. Our rest comes from the warm embrace that we feel from God, the acceptance that we have in God, not because of any good works that we've done, but because of His grace through Jesus Christ. Rest now, in a sense, in this life, but the fullness of rest in the life to come through Jesus. That's how we, that is how our souls are healed and rejuvenated. It's through Jesus. So let's not forget that. And then the last thing that I want to say on this matter about work and rest is never retire. Never retire. And I'm not talking about, you know, your job, your earthly job, you know, your occupation. I'm speaking to, that'll get me run out of here real quick because I know there are retired people in the audience tonight. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your kingdom service, your kingdom work. The Bible never mentions a retirement plan. And uh, I was reminded just a, a few moments ago, Joshua, we just talked about him. How, how old was he when he was handed the mantle of leadership from Moses? He was on up in years, yes. 70s, 80s, I can't remember exactly what. But he was no spring chicken. Still serving the Lord, still devoted to Him. There's no retirement plan. Now, that doesn't mean that the way that you serve in the kingdom doesn't change through the years. I'm not saying, you know, you've got to teach little kids in Sunday school all the way to the end. That You've got to be involved in, uh, in, in this particular ministry all the way to the end. We need to remind ourselves that, you know, being a deacon or, or an elder serving in an office of the church like that, that's not a lifetime appointment. But none of us, none of us need to stop serving in some capacity. We never retire uh, from serving our God. As the old song says, we'll work till Jesus comes. So let's be busy doing the Lord's work regardless of what age we are. At the end of our days, at the end of our lives, we should be wrung out, spent up, exhausted in service to the Lord. Have you ever had a day that on which you were doing something that was felt so meaningful and so productive and so helpful and so so that you know fed your soul and you put your head on the pillow that night that's good rest that is that's just good rest knowing that God got a lot of mileage out of you that day at the end of our lives we should be able to say you know what God got a lot of good mileage out of me I am wrung out, I am spent up in service to my Lord. That's the way we, sh- we should want to go out. We should be able to say with Paul, uh, as he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, I have served 
I have worked hard until the very end. Therefore there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. We should look forward to that day and look forward to the true rest that will await us on the other side. Tonight, if you have not been obedient to the Gospel, if you haven't embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord, meaningful work and ministry awaits and rest awaits when this life is over when Jesus returns. If you need prayers for any reason, if you're struggling, uh, and, and we can pray with you and for you, if you need to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that tonight. We want to again offer the invitation, a song of encouragement, as we, let's, sing, let's stand and sing together.